well known that dinosaurs couldn't read. Particularly, the T-Rex couldn't turn the pages. This is why dinosaurs are extinct. You're listening to Brave New Words. My name is Ed, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey. However, the Gutenbergosaurus should be a name for a dan... Sorry, carry it. Uh, I'm Adam, and I have questions about your scientific reasoning. Well, well, I'm ignoring completely the existence of the thesaurus for a start. (laughs) You're listening to Brave New Words. We are a podcast that's all about books. Um, We are in association with the lovely, lovely, lovely people at Starburst Magazine. And before we get on with anything else, we are going to have a lovely jingle. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there were still stories waiting to be told. Force Majeure is an actual play Star Wars podcast, following groups of emerging Force sensitives trying to survive the worst the Outer Rim can throw at them. So if you like action, adventure, thrilling yarns and good tea, you might enjoy Force Majeure. Find us on Twitter at Force Majeure Pod or online at forcemajeurepod.com or wherever you find your podcasts. That was a lovely jingle. It really was. I and don't it, say this every time, but that one was lovely. And, and if you have a lovely jingle, and say you are a podcast or another show or something, and, and you want to get involved, please do let us know. Um, so, uh, I think I'm supposed to review books now. That's kind of my job. No, you're not. not what's happened before. But, um, I'm technically, in all things, I'm Starburst Magazine's uh, literary editor. We're yeah. so very sorry. I, I'm supposed to mention that or something, but yes, no, that, that, that's the mm. thing that I do. Which essentially means I sit there going, read that, you should read that. Read now, read harder, read faster. <laughs> that's how, exactly how that works. <laughs> um, so, we're going to talk about Batman. Because here's why not. Because mm-hmm. Batman's written a load of novels, as we yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Um, he has. Yeah. Mostly about, you know, bats. Under uh, a ghostwriter. No, no, he's a different. He's a Marvel superhero, ghostwriter. Dead man is is a is a ghost who is a DC character. He is. Yeah, but he's a stuntman. He's a stuntman. Stunt, stuntman. He's in. Yeah. Stuntman but don't write books. Well, I mean, some might. But I'm he's not, also overgeneralized. I'm sorry, stuntman. It means overgeneralized. But the character of Dead Man himself is not known for his literary power. But he is Powers. a ghost. So if you wrote any book, he'd be a ghostwriter. I remember that from my youth, from school as a small child when it used to teach us how to spell. There was Ghostwriter, and there was uh, there was Geordie Racer, who I think was you as a pigeon, Ed. That was me as a pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was in Geordie Ra- Racer. We're, we're now gone straight to Weddy, who is a strange flying golem that will confuse anyone under the age of about 30 and any Americans. The, so about two-thirds of our audience. The best one was Through the Dragon's Eye, which was dark as hell. Was there not one about an alien gift as well? We've lost like most of the audience. This is more of a tangent than we usually have. You've lost 50% of the panel. (laughs) I actually know what you're talking about. I'm just not engaging. You've lost 25% (laughs) of the panel. So there was a uh, children's television programme for education called... Was it Read, Write and Spell? Yeah, I think so. Wasn't there Words and Pictures as well? Words and Pictures. That's the one. Words and Pictures. And they had this creature called Wordy, which was a floating... Uh, daisy wheel printer is the best way to describe it. It was yeah. a floating ball covered in, covered in words, mm-hmm. covered in letters even, and he would he would teach you how to spell. You see how 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 to build a word, how to build a word with an ing. You'd oh, that that was also from Geordie Racer. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, 
It wasn't called Geordie Racer, it was called Bits and Pictures. No, there was, there was Geordie Racer, because he had a little theme song, like, Geordie Racer, Geordie Racer. So it was, the entire format was like a kid's... <laughs> We've lost Mikey. Okay. Yeah. It was like a Saturday morning kid's TV show, so you'd have like the bit with Birdie who would float around, and then you'd have the, the, the builder who would build a word, build a word with an N or build a word with an ing, yeah. and then you would have the, the cartoon, but the cartoon would be like Geordie Racer. It wasn't a cartoon, it was a bit of live action. You'd have an actor who would tell you his story and give you the plot. Thank yeah. you for listening to our Batman review show. <laughs> <laughs> and, one of those, and one of those characters was Batman. <laughs> and this is why I'm not normally a guest on the show, why it won't be me, you might be back. <laughs> I've just, whilst, whilst we were bimbling on about that, I've just Googled Wordy. On, on mychildhood.com or something, and oh my god, there is a there is a Shakespearean trained actor somewhere who weeps weeps into his gin every night because that was his major role, because that is a te- I'm going to cosplay as Wordy. <laughs> what do you mean you're going to? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, oh, yeah. You've already got the Jordy in there. That's yeah. what you wore on your marriage day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always interested by actors who are quite well regarded who have done the weirdest things, like Orson Welles being a giant robot planet and uh, and things like that. It's just it's an odd. That was his last last thing. I mean. Isn't it ironic that Citizen Kane? That's all about childhood nostalgia, mm-hmm. and ends with a whole gag about a toy. Yeah. The last thing that Citizen Kane did was a giant toy commercial. Yeah. There's an irony there, but let's not put Miles into the, the Orson Welles' mouth, because you, know, you can't do that. They remade his uh, the movie that he never finished. The the, the big movie he never finished. Oh, yeah. Orson Welles' his final project. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I watched it and was horrendously disappointed. Yeah. Because it's not, because it's not an Orson Welles movie. It's a stitched together collection of Footage. Of course, we are talking about Orson Welles because Orson Welles, I believe, is probably Batman. Yes, Orson Welles is definitely Batman. So, shall we get on to what we were supposed to be talking about? The only person that I know isn't Batman is Bruce Wayne because he hates bats. Yeah, that's true. Uh, And that would be unlikely as well because, you know, everyone knows that billionaire Bruce Wayne is like famously indolent. Mm -hmm. Bat phobic. I mean, why would he? Uh, And, you know, I mean, he he donates. I would say that Bruce Wayne's one of the good guys because Bruce Wayne, of course, donates large amounts of money mm-hmm. to to fighting crime in Gotham City through social programs. Yeah, yeah. He spent billions on on trying to improve the social mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Whereas Batman just goes out and punches criminals. Yeah, and that's just not a way to to, to it, fix yeah. anything. Balance yeah. doesn't solve anything. You're just becoming part of the problem. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Wayne does a much better job by. I mean, he owns almost all of the orphanages. Yes. Though, which is interesting mm-hmm. that there's so many orphans in in yeah. In Bat- in Gotham City, but that's maybe Batman's fault. So, yeah. does, does he cherry pick from the orphans to be his ward? I mean, because is that why he owns the orphanages? I think he's got some sort of little neat academy, but um, yeah, we, we we can't go any further with that. Otherwise, we'll have to have a word with Batman's lawyers. Yeah, of course, and yeah. also uh, Bruce Wayne's lawyers. Yeah, yeah, who are the same company for some. They reason. are. Yeah, yeah. Really I, I read an article about that in the the New York Times, which is also yeah. owned by Bruce Wayne. So yeah, apparently they're not connected to each other in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, so so that let let's uh, avoid lawsuits from fictional characters, yeah, and instead talk about the novelisation. Oh now, let me get this right. I won't talk about the book uh, Mad Love. 
by by Paul Adini and Pat Carrigan, which is the story of Harley Quinn, the Batman character. Mm-hmm. Now, let me get this completely right. Harley Quinn is a spin-off character that appeared in the Batman animated series. Yeah. 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 So, which was based on the the comic book Batman. Mm-hmm. They then took this comic book character, yeah. created a graphic novel about the origin story of that character. So yeah. it was a comic book. So it started off as a comic book, became a, t- became a TV series, then became a comic book again. This is the novelisation of that. Isn't the novelisation of a comic book a comic book? That's a good point. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> it's just with more words and less pictures. It's a less accessible comic book. There's, there's, one, there's one picture. Are you arguing that all books are comic books, just with different percentages of words or pictures, and that if it doesn't have any pictures, it's still a comic book? It's not called words and pictures, it's Geordie Racer, we talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I say, like, like, the novelisation of a comic book is just a comic book, but, but it, it, it's the audio descriptive version of a comic book, really, isn't it? No, it doesn't talk to you, it's not audio No, well, but you know, you, I mean, what... So <laughs> I, <laughs> somebody reset Adam, please. I, I can see it going the other way round, so like because the, they've they've written the book and they some, want to turn that book into something a bit more accessible um, for people that perhaps can't read so well, but want but 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 want the pictures and and that's how you get the comic book adaptations. But going the other way round just seems. There's someone out there with a, a degree in English literature and an M.E. in graphic novels. Uh, and sequential art who's right now weeping and you know the best thing about that any abuse is going to go to your account not mine <laughs> yeah so called yeah. Mr Ed Fortune so <laughs> there was a whole thing where I'd stop this magazine I was one sequential art editor and it's because I wanted to be called comic book guy and the guy was like I can't call you comic book guy that's outrageous so I went okay then call me sequential art editor and and the guy who owned Starburst magazine was like that's a pretentious title and I was like I didn't come up with it worst title ever <laughs> so, so so currently we have a comic book guy which is fine um, where was I yes so, Batman Batman because <laughs> Paul I mean, also created the animated series he did, he, Paul Dini, yes, was part of the team for the animated series. And originally, the, the actual origin of Harley Quinn was they just wanted a female character to pop out of, out of a cake mm-hmm. and, and go and you know, have fun. But the voice actor had so much fun with a Brooklyn accent that was clear, quite clearly not a Brooklyn accent. It was someone doing a comedy fake Brooklyn accent, but was all from New York. So it's a New Yorker having a go at Brooklyn accents. Had so much fun doing the voice acting with it. That the the character kind of evolved from the from the performance. Was it Tara Strong back then? That's what I think it was. I think it was in fact Tara Strong. Tara Strong had so much fun. I thought she was Batgirl. She she might have been both. Oh, she's been everything, including quite a lot of ponies. So Titan Books um, have sent us three copies, three books, uh, which are an adaptation of The Killing Joke, the famous Alan Moore Batman book. Mm -hmm. They've sent us Mad Love, the, the the Paul Dini. Batman adaptation and Court of Isles, which is another Batman series. See, I've, I, I've read Killing Joke a long time ago. Um, I've not read Court of Isles, but I kept meaning to because they, they keep bringing it back out with like anniversary editions, and the artwork looks amazing. It just it, that that image of that kind of owl mask just I f- find really gripping, and I've just never got around to actually reading it. But well, shall we come to it? Shall we circle around it? Otherwise, if we're trying to push them, yeah, we, yeah. If we try trying to push three Batman at once, yeah, you'll yeah. have us. Batman. Batman, Batmans. No, it might be like ninjas. So yeah. when there's just our Batman, 
he's yeah. really really powerful when you've got five Batman they're, they're, they're weak you know you can beat them with a single punch their oh, swords right, okay. never meet yeah. and it's no, only when you get down to the last remaining Batman that once again the danger level goes back up well, sure it's and Batman's not Batman Batsmen mm. Bat family uh, Bat persons Bat Mopala you're a Bat person Bat no because there's not multiple bats in Batman. Just, he, just... He's not spiders, man. You know, he's not bats, man. Well, he's just made of made of thousands of bats piloting a mech. We're getting a little. Conf- that actually happens in one of the. Never mind. Actually, if Spider-Man was Spider's Man, which was just a skin suit controlling full of spiders, controlling like a kind of grim. That's that's man one ship. of the alternate Spider-Man, though. It's 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 a hundred thousand spiders that think they're Peter Parker. Is that in the uh, Spider-Verse? It's story? not, but I have, seen, have you not seen Spider-Man? I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that when Adrian Tchaikovsky eventually writes a Spider-Man comic, <laughs> that's what it'll be. Definitely. It'll be... Uh, incidentally, um, Harley Quinn was first voiced by Arlene Sorkin. Oh, yeah. yeah, so not not Tara Strong, who, uh, who's picked it up since then. Who's best known for, for picking up the role. Yeah. yeah. So what we have... With, right, so I'm a massive fan of Pat Cadigan. Um, I, I hugely rate Pat Cadigan. As a, as a writer in general, um, partially because she's written so much stuff that I like, and she does a lot of tie-in work, and she's unashamedly happy to do as much tie-in work as she possibly can. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just seen a picture of Spider's Man here. Well, that's terrifying. Good radio too. <laughs> so, so Pat Cadigan has written stuff that is included. The Hugo Award-winning novella, the girl, the, the girl thing who went out for sushi. Uh, I simply recall last time I met her, she kept pointing out that she had a Hugo Award. Um, and did she have it with her? Probably. <laughs> probably on the using, table. Probably <laughs> using it to you know to, to beat people with because it's quite a chunky thing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hugo Award. You could certainly stun a burglar with that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just by seeing it, there's oh a Hugo Award. <laughs> I am wrong. I am burgling the wrong house. I I, I I respect the arts too much to continue with this desecration of your living space. Off to next door. That's that's how burglars work. Actually. Absolutely, and that's how they speak in I my mean, experience. Because next door are just podcasters, so I've got podcasting yeah. ones. So that's oh, just a hunk of as, as podcasters, aren't we entitled to like one minuscule fraction of some award or other? So, uh, so, so we could be up for so brand new words and indeed force majeure, which is the other podcast that this entire crew are in. Uh, could be up for uh, best fan cast at the Eagles, but also wasn't there an award given out to the concept of podcasting? Diana Jones Award. Wasn't Diana it? Jones yeah. Award. Yeah, so we are all like a fractional recipients of the Diana Jones Award. Oh, great! I am I, I, allowed to have a small amount of what I seem to recall is a burnt Indiana Jones role playing game cast into amber by a bunch of games designers who are generally sniffy about the entire concept of commercial games. The, the, the important thing there is, if that was in our living room, that would definitely stun a burglar. It would. Cause Cause it, what cause is that? Cause and then it would trigger a boulder to fall on something. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> the, the, the Diana Jones Award, I should explain, is not named after Diana Jones. It's a burnt Indiana Jones game. Yes. And the only thing that survived was the words Diana Jones. <laughs> because they got they were so disgusted about the, the whole nonsense surrounding the production of the game in the first place that they set fire to a pile of them. <laughs> and they just like the ashes, but slightly more pretentious, basically. Wow. <laughs> Man, there's a ner- level. nerds be salty. <laughs> 
But it's apparently a great honour to be able to, to, to bestow the, the, the Diana Jones Award, but I'm, I'm not sure how that counts as a great honour. I think it involves gin on some level. But um, hi, James Wallace, if you're listening. He's not. Uh, so, yes, so Pat Cadigan uh, has a Hugo Award, uh, which she, I dare she she's can use as a weapon. Uh, she's a formidable lady, actually. Uh, she's also written the Lost in Space tie-in novels, and the novelization of Jason X. I, I like that film far more than it deserves. I, you see, I've not read the novelization, but I'm going to seek it out because oh, I that. like Pat Cadigan and I like that movie. And I'm always, you're always on board for fun. Is this the Lost in Space movie or the original series or the new the, series? I think it's the movie. It's oh. the one with Jason in. That is Jason X, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. it. Jason X is the one way. Where they're Lost in Space. Is lost in Space and she... It beats a camper with another camper. That is my favourite scene in any movie, anywhere. It's just and wonderful. Ha- has the wonderful line, don't worry guys, he just wants the air machete back. <laughs> it's nice when they realise how, how, how bizarre their, their franchise is and just go with it. It is wonderful. There's a version of Le- the Leprechaun series that's also in space. Yeah, but we don't talk about that particular instalment in the Leprechaun <laughs> I series. I imagine it's called the Leprechaun in space, but it, I don't it know. It is indeed. <laughs> yes. I believe it has an entire, entire alien race that communicate through Nidacy, which tells you everything you need to know about that movie. <laughs> Warwick Davis needed a paycheck. Yeah, Captain Kirk would love that planet. Absolutely. So, um, so back to Mad Love. Um, it's written by, by, by Pat Gadigan, originally written by Paul Dini. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really good. For what it is, it's really good. So we start off with uh, Harley and Quintel's formative years. It opens up with a really taut kind of mini fellow where um, essentially her dad's a bit of a dodgy geezer, as it were, and she just finds herself in a situation surrounded by mooks and gangsters, and in a stressful situation she fakes Brooklyn accent to kind of, you know, because she's a little girl at the time, mm-hmm. and essentially these, these guys are horrible and she, she, she barely escapes with her life. And then she grows up to be an athlete, be a um, psychologist. And one of the things, one of the things that's kind of uncomfortable with reading Mad Love, is you're kind of reading the downward spiral of a incredibly talented, incredibly well, you know, well placed, hard working woman. That is my problem with the romanticization of Harley Quinn, because it's taking a successful independent woman and breaking her down into nothing more than a bit of cheesecake for a psychopath so, and so I, this is not a romance yeah but this is in, not a romance in general, it is a that, psychological thriller and a horror tale which is is a better interpretation but there is there is a romanticization generally of that character that i just can't get behind she gets the joker like Cadigan gets the joker's narcissism she gets the arrogance she gets the misanthropy mm-hmm. uh, spot on like you do not like the joker he is a monster he is not charming on a level throughout but you also get why the appeal you get why Harleen is broken if you see what I mean so the opening the opening scene is she works the sorry not the opening scene there is a scene it where she's working at Arkham and she's slowly but surely trying to pull things together so um, 
so she can get better, more interesting gigs. And she gets all the lady um, lunatics, for want of a better word, all the kind of crazies in one room. And we've got Poison Ivy, and we've got um, one of the versions of the Mad Hatter, uh, and so on. They're all sitting around, and they're all being nutters and psychopaths. And she's talking them around until it goes horribly wrong because it's the Batman. nature yeah. of Batman, yeah. yeah. It go, goes horribly wrong and she barely survives with her life. And the thing that's very obvious is that Harleen's attraction to the Joker is not sane. It's not logical. It's not intelligent. It's mad love, if you say what I mean. And it's it's her comeuppance as well. Is it a fun book? It is a fun book. I, I, I get where you're coming from in the fact that I, I read it and I was like <sighs> at the end of the day you suddenly are reminded that Batman's main job is that he beats up mentally unstable people for for, for you know profit um, and it's just like well, not well for, for his own therapy really for his yeah. own therapy yeah. and it's like it's a strong Batman book it's about a popular character created by Master of the Field and if you like Batman, if you like Batman you'll like it but you do get reminded of the all of the flaws. The thing the novelization does is it reminds you is to, you know, it puts a dip some of the nuances that that a, a comic can't always get across quite so well. That that sort of thing. Graphic novels do nuance in a different way, and yeah. they do it through the art and they do it through the design. Um, and that that actually brings me on to the Killing Joke. So, the Killing Joke again. Brian Boland and Alnimer originally created the Killing Joke comic book. Christopher Faust and Gary Phillips adapted it into a book novelisation. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there is an animated series. Fans of the graphic novel will believe that the novelisation does not cover the same ground as the animated version. Uh, so, to be entirely non-spoilery in case you've not read Killing Joke, even though Killing Joke's been around for you, uh, well over a decade at this point. 30 years. 30 years. Yep. Is it 30 years? 88. Oh my goodness, I'm old. You are. So in the animated uh, version, they had a slightly ill-advised romance between Batgirl and Batman. Yeah. I think a lot of people who watched that just went, why is this in here? Mm. Do, do, do you need... To... And the thing is, the, com- the graphic novel's quite thin. Mm-hmm. This is a 300-page book. And I have to tell you guys, about the first about the first ten pages and the last fifty is the graphic novel. And the middle bit is the middle bit, middle bit is the build up and everything that led to the events that lead to the graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so we open up with a beautiful description of the Batmobile. Oh, and and kind of what we get with the Killing Joke is as a as a novelization. Is you know saying that there's a difference between nuance, the, the nuances. Um, so the thing that that comic books do really well is they communicate information and ideas really quickly, straight into your brain, with a little bit of pictures and symbolism. Pictures and symbolism. Um, and one of the criticisms that has been made about the Killing Joke is uh, Alan Moore isn't that the guy who just drew the captions for Brian Bolland's artwork. Throughout the joke, <laughs> which is a horrific thing to say about Alan, but also quite funny. Um, this, this, the, the, you, you don't need this much detail for the killing joke, but it's fun to have it. Yeah. Should we talk what the killing joke is? 
because oh. people haven't read it. <laughs> or, well, if any, or haven't experienced any form of it. So, uh, The Killing Joke is a Batman story where the Joker mm-hmm. uh, is on the rampage. He escapes. Um, there is a, a drug a- epidemic going on in the background. The Joker has uh, es- escaped. And he uh, tries to essentially destroy Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. And he does that by the Joker abducts um, abducts Barbara Gordon, yeah. who is uh, Commissioner Gordon's daughter, does horrible things to her, mm-hmm. uh, and tries to drive Commissioner Gordon mad. Now, we are heading into spoilery territory. If you want to get ahead, please do. Um, but it's 30 years old, so really, really don't worry about it because it's. I think it's been discussed quite openly for for, for a lot, uh, especially since the uh, the animated version came out. Yeah. yeah. So the thing with the Killing Joke is that there is an interpretation of the Killing Joke that this is it, that it is the last Batman story because what essentially happens is that Barbara Gordon, who we, we as the reader know is also Batgirl, mm-hmm. uh, gets crippled at the very least by the Joker. Yeah. Uh, the commissioner, Commissioner Gordon, is tortured by the Joker. The Joker's tried to drive him insane, but that's not how mental health works. Yeah. Um, drive him insane. I mean, it's a horrible it's, thing to do. As to I recall, him. it's partly a sort of empathy thing of this is what you could be if you just had one really, really bad, really bad day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's tr- and the Batman finally catches up, and the the denouement, the the gag, the killing joke. Is the Joker turns around to Batman and says and tells the story about two inmates escaping from a prison, and one of them jumps over, and the other one doesn't want to do the jump. I can't make the jump, he says. It's okay. I'll, I'll turn this torch on, and you can follow the light. And the the other inmate goes, "Are you crazy? You'll turn it off halfway." <laughs> and they and they start laughing and they start laughing, and in the graphic novel, it ends there. Because both Batman and the Joker laugh. Mm-hmm. The camera, the reader's perspective, points to the um, to the rain-soaked puddles on the ground, and then it's just Batman laughing. The, there is a sound. I think it's a crack, and it's just Batman laughing. Mm-hmm. And the assumption is that Batman has arrested the Joker, or he's killed him. Yeah, yeah. And it's left deliberately ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, without spoiling the book too much. It's less ambiguous. It's less ambiguous. Yeah, but it's also a licensed franchise product from DC D, from from DC. So yeah, and it goes on a little bit longer after that scene. So because they have that level of detail and and attention, you can't leave it that ambiguous. You have mm-hmm. to explain. But by the same token, doesn't that kind of yeah yeah ruin the point of that story? Yeah. So we get a little bit more about... Uh, so there's an entire plot about g- giggle sniff, which is a drug that's rampaging across... Isn't that what was causing a lot of problems in Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well? <laughs> I've never seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine. What? Get I, on I'm, assuming, I'm yeah. assuming it's got Harley Quinn in it doing Brooklyn accents. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what it is. But yes, there's an entire subplot <laughs> with a, a drug that basically makes people go... Crazy, and that's used as a meta metaphor. Metaphor uses as a, a metaphor for but isn't that the like, one bad day. As possible. is that not just filler, then? Yes, I, I've got but to say, also but... it sets the narrative for essentially 
anyone could be the Joker if they had that bad day. And the answer, the conclusion he comes to is, no. <laughs> I'm certainly getting the feeling um, that whereas Mad Love is probably as worthy a read as the graphic novel, I'm kind of getting the feeling that this one in particular doesn't quite achieve that. So what it is does, that fair? What it does is it does the masculinity and chrome and style of Batman. It's the most Batmaniest book that ever Batmaned. And if you like Batman, you will like how Batman it is. If you see what I'm saying. Mm. Um, this is a book that describes Alfred Pennyworth as the Gotham version. Calls him an XSES. Mm-hmm. Butler. Yeah. For those um, of you who don't know what Pennyworth is, he's Batman's Batman. Yes. Um, I love that joke. I, I know you love that joke. <laughs> uh, so Batman's Butler, Batman's Batman. Hence uh, Batsman. Yes. <laughs> Batsman's. Are you saying that Alfred is made up of lots of bats in a suit? <laughs> Alfred is a collection of bats yeah. in a suit. And Bruce is quite, quite mad. <laughs> he, once, he once worked for the SAS because the SAS trained some elite bats mm-hmm. uh, as part of the. the, the in fact, it, isn't that one of Kim Newman's? I know Dracula. It is. <laughs> oh, well, not SAS. It must be SBS, yeah. Special Bat Service. <laughs> they, just, they, they just dropped the O at one point in some, in some memo in the OOD. They were just like. Oh yes, we need to form the special bat service, and someone's like, "Should that be a special boat service?" Bat, bat it is. <laughs> well, it well, says it here. We're going to call them all Alfred. <laughs> Dropping the O incidentally is uh, what Alan Moore was doing while he was writing the killing joke. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, I do I not understand that. Please ne- do not explain. Ne- uh, I, I don't know. I just you know, having, I, I ha- saw a, I saw a loose hanging hook. I leapt on it. Having read Lost Girls, that's almost that's almost certainly true. Um, but yes. So it is very, it is very Batman-y. Um, and if you like Batman, you, you, I don't want to say, I don't want to, it, it's unfair to compare it to, and this is one of the problems, is that it's Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. It is one of the cornerstones of the Batman mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's up there with The Dark Knight and a bunch of other books. Arkham Asylum. Arkham Asylum. But that, now, now that, going back to the subject of nuance in, um, and symbolism in comics... That is a book that drips symbolism with every picture. Well, each each panel's based on a tower card. And tower yeah. cards, tower cards are a way of communicating the entire human experience in seventy plus cards. Yeah, come on. Yeah, you, you, you know you can you can tell any story. It's it's one of the, one of the incredibly pretentious party tricks that I have, where I can give you any movie plot of any movie in a number of tower cards. You know, if you know if you know the tower well enough, and yeah, the tower is just not mystical. It's just a shorthand for communication. You can tell any story in tower cards. And what what that particular book does, which Grant Morrison, if memory yeah, serves, yeah. is he 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 basically goes, "Look, I can do it as well," and and does the whole thing. And it's it's lovely, and very clever. But yes, faced with that challenge, what else could you do but create the most Batman ebook that ever Batman? And they lean into the kind of... There's, there's a description of how cool the Batmobile is. There's a description about how cool his bat gadgets are. There's mm-hmm. a whole investigation story relating to, to Giggle Sniff and so on. It does very well for what it is. It does Batman well. It was from the tick, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> so the Court of Owls is about, uh, it is about the fact that everyone else is made out of owls. Oh, well, well, naturally, yeah. Yes. No, which makes perfect sense. Especially the judges. 
Uh, it's Greg Cox, which again is uh, Greg is a massively competent uh, writer. He's responsible for no- movie novelizations of The Dark Knight Rises, Man of Steel, Godzilla, War for the Planet of the Apes, Ghost Rider, Daredevil. Uh, he's written the books for the Free Underworld movies. Pretty much, he's done a lot of tie-ins. He's got prizes for being the best tie-in author in the world. Uh, tie-in authors of the world, tie-in. Court of Owls is an interesting one because it's it, it it attempts to create like a background for why Gotham is such a mess. Um and it tries to create like a kind of Masonic conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing with that entire world and that entire setting of the mind is it doesn't need it at all. It, you don't need you don't need Court of Owls, but it's a very pretty very popular graphic novel. Yeah. What the novelization does is it takes away the pictures. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what you're what you're left with is a conspiracy theory, and it's quite a good conspiracy theory. With some with lots of punching. Um, the thing with the comic book is you get this kind of seamless. It, it fits seamlessly into the world of Gotham, because we know the world of Gotham quite well, and it just generates that atmosphere, generates that kind of gritty vibe the the novel does everything it, it, it can to world build Gotham because it has to world build Gotham from the start yeah. then add a conspiracy to it then add all the punching it doesn't lean towards what the killing joke does which is Batman the Batman out of the Batman it doesn't do what killing what, what Mad Love does which is just be good um, but if you've read the other two you'll enjoy that one as well if you see what I mean. And it does do a good job of being a thriller. Whereas whereas Mad Love is a psychological horror and um, The Killing Joke is essentially an action movie tie-in for an action movie that doesn't exist. That's a Batman-themed fr- uh, conspiracy thriller. Uh, f- more towards the, the Dan Brown side of things, sadly, but still. Yeah, it's going to say, not a great selling point. Not great. I, I have no problem with with that sort of kind of pulpy style but they are all fun pulp Batman books yeah um, and you know there, there is more weirdly there's more depth I think to the Court of Owls than there is to Killing Joke and, and Mad Love but that's because they're trying to handle multiple threads to make it into a yeah. coherent thing mm. and again it it just lacks the, the there's some beautiful uh, action scenes so the, there's a great train helicopter scene quite early on which would make it great. It's like, The Court of Owls for me feels like a movie pitch all the way through as a comic book. And that almost feels like the novel that you give to a script where to say, make a movie out of this, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be very surprised if there isn't a Batman movie at some point that isn't in development. He said it horrendously cynically. Yeah, probably. Um, but yes, so that's, uh, that, that's yeah. Batman in text form. Okay. In, in case you, so you don't have to read them all in the, the same order. No. Nope. Um, which one would you read first? Mad Love. You said that very quickly and very sh- surely. Yes, because I really like Mad Love. Yeah. Um, uh, I think the court, court of Owls is almost perfect for that six-hour flight you've got in your future. Yeah. Because it because it's got enough shiny, exciting things mm-hmm. to keep you going. Um, Killing Joke is a book that you can cheerfully lose in the poolside. Because if you get all the way through it, brilliant. If you lose it, 
Let's move on to the next one. And I'm not that's that's yeah. not me being damning, but there's like there's some novels that you, you pick up and you read and you read and you finish and you enjoy and then someone goes, What were you reading last week? And you go, uh, Oh yeah, Gang Joe. Mm-hmm. And and you enjoy it while you're reading it. Yeah. If you see what I mean. But it's not one you'd read again. It's not one I'd read again because I'd read the graphic novel. Yeah. Which would take me twenty minutes, if that. Mm. Um but again if I was if I was killing time, killing joke. Um, if I was killing, if I if I was doing one session, court of vows, and for anything, mad love, because mad love is fun. Um, though again, again with mad love, the you know content warnings for a said, lot of things I for a lot of things for creepy abusive relationships. If you've been in one of those, you give mad love a miss, frankly. Um, or if you want to get good and angry about one of those, then. You'll definitely pick it up. I suppose you could probably say that about Killing Joke as well. Uh, to an extent, extent, one of the things I uh, this is totally tangent, but one of the things I love about Killing Joke and the DC universe is that there's a character called Booster Gold. Mm. Yep. Booster Gold's thing is that he's incompetent as a hero, mm-hmm. but his other other thing is that the reason he's incompetent as a hero is he's actually a time traveling adventurer, and he goes back in time, and if he's done his job properly, you don't know who he is. Because he goes back and fixes bits of the timeline that shouldn't have been broken in the first place. So he goes out and does incredibly dangerous things to make sure that that hero gets from point A to point B. And there's a moment in the um, in in the Booster Gold miniseries where Batman calls him up and goes, "I need you to do this," and he's like, "Why are you calling me? I'm a I'm a I'm a jerk. You don't need me." he's like no no I trust you and they go on this mission and Booster Gold is Booster Gold and he's laughing and joking and being incompetent but they get through it and Batman goes I know I know and he's like how do you know I mean I know you're Batman but how and he's like well I looked at the footage of uh, Barbara Gordon's attempted assassination what Booster Gold did was he kept going back in time to try and stop the Joker from assassinating, to attempting to murder Barbara Gordon, mm-hmm. and because it's a fixed point in time, mm-hmm. time always gets in the way and stops it. Right. So Booster Gold gets horribly mangled every time, and he tries like a hundred times. Yeah. He just keeps trying to break time so he can save his friend, mm-hmm. and he can't do it. And Batman looks at the footage and goes, "There's something wrong here." Focus in on that pixel because it's Batman. And he figures it out. Yeah. And that's very cheesy, but it's also really cool. Yeah. yeah. But like, like Batman is so such an investigator that he can tell when the timeline has been interfered with. That's ridiculous. And therefore, that's why he likes Booster Gold because he knows it's an act and he knows yeah. the guy's actually a hero. Yeah. Um, it also depends on Booster Gold who's writing him because sometimes he's just a jerk. Mm. They did a Flintstones crossover with Booster Gold recently. <laughs> did they? <laughs> There's a sentence I never thought I'd hear. Where will so, we live in? So, so DC did a Hanna Barbera series of books, and the Flintstones is actually quite dark. Yeah, yeah. They, they did like grimdark um, Flintstones, and essentially, the, the it opens up with a bunch of Cro Magnons trying to be trained to work in the quarry, and they turn on and go, "We're not doing this." The entire point, it seems like the entire point of civilization is to get someone else to do your killing for you. Forget that. I don't they wonder. Um, and like you know the the floating green alien from um, from the Flintstones cartoon. Yes, yeah. That turned that turned up at one point, and there were a bunch of frat boys, 
they're like they get near the invasion a bunch of fat boys going hey let's murder cavemen uh, so they start zapping cavemen and then someone phones their mum and says uh, can, can, can you bring them home so that floating alien isn't a wacky alien he's a game park warden to make sure that other aliens don't mess with the primitive humans yeah. and all of this sort of no- nonsense so there's a whole like meta narrative about the nature of God and about art and about all of the rest of them in the Flintstones in the uh, Flintstones crossover, crossover comics um, they, they did um, the same the same range did a version of Scooby Doo called Scooby Doo Apocalypse I've seen some of the artwork from that yeah and it's uh, Scooby Doo is a is a government military experiment yeah um, I like Dogs of War I like Dogs of War um, but he can't talk because there's something wrong with the chip. And Scrappy Doo is the slightly more advanced version who hates Scooby because, like, you know, because he 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 had it easy as far as he's concerned. Um, they also did a version of Snagglepuss. I don't believe I'm saying these words. That's set during the McCarthy era. <laughs> <laughs> and like Kurt Busiek did that gag about ten years before, but it's I think it's written by Kurt Busiek or whatever, and he's just like. It's like, well, yes, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Shakespearean actor who's betrayed my friends. My life is tragedy. It's oh, just like, that's amazing. But they've they've done quite a quite a a lot of solid tie-in stuff. Is what I'm saying with DC recently. Love it. But gosh, I think we we've successfully run out of show again. Yeah. With all that nonsense. <gasps> yeah. So um, so that was Batman. So if you're gonna read a really good Batman uh, novel, uh, we can we can heartily recommend Batman Year One, uh, or the Killing Joke by Alan Moore. Alternatively, um, books wise, they're, they're all great and they're all fun, but I like Mad Love particularly. So it's goodbye for me. It's goodbye for me and me as well, uh, and also me. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Radio Bookworm. Tell all your friends about the show, and uh, we are at Radio Bookworm on Twitter. We are Brave underscore New underscore words on mm-hmm. Instagram and you can also find us via iTunes or via Starless Magazine. Uh, bye. 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 bye.